0: This is what I've been saying, the three L's, listen, learn, and lead. The advisors to do that are the advisors that are going to win. The value of bespoke advice has never been higher.
1: You're listening to Coindesk's On Purpose with OnRamp CEO Tyrone Ross.
0: An infrastructure, money movement, security. The wealth management space is not set up to deal with the client of the future. And man, is that an incredible opportunity.
1: A licensed investment advisor and powerful storyteller, Tyrone has a passion for digital assets and their ability to disrupt our current way of life. How do I protect
0: myself? How do I protect my firm? How do I protect my clients?
1: This show is for advisors by advisors. Advise on purpose in the arising realm of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now... Tyrone Ross.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of the On Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Ross, CEO and co-founder of On Ramp Invest. And as promised, I dragged him back with me for a part two. <laughs> the inimitable Jeff Garzik is back. How are you, sir?
2: Good, good. Always great to, to reconnect and vibe with your energy. I was getting prepared for the podcast and and you make me smile, you have very positive energy and I was looking forward to it. So uh, thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for coming back and enjoyed the conversation last time. The feedback was great. You helped my street cred on the Twitter, <laughs> the Twitter sphere. So I, <laughs> so I appreciate you. But before we start, how are you? How, how are things going? Let's just get into that. What are you working on? What are you excited about? How's life?
2: You know, life-wise, I'm always doing a thousand different projects. I describe it as day job and other stuff. My day job is Vesper Finance, which we'll uh, talk about here in a bit, helping the CEO and co-founder Jordan do her thing and thinking about what DeFi means to people and stuff like that. I'm also working on producing a TV show. I'm uh, building houses. I'm starting a trucking company. So... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't want to call it a midlife crisis. Like the opposite of that, like the midlife opportunity. Whenever I'm uh, either interviewing somebody or somebody's asking my advice for like a a big life choice, I like the Socratic method. Like ask a question back, and the question I usually ask is like, fast forward yourself ten years. Did you regret the decision or choice you just made today? Was it a consequential choice 10 years in the future, then looking back, or was it a nothing burger or were you like distracted by day-to-day stuff? That's uh, kind of the frame of mind. I try to put interviewees and mentees and stuff in is you are defined by your choices and you can put yourself in a box. You can put yourself in a prison metaphorically, or sometimes literally. Or you can free yourself by uh, you know, thinking longer term and more strategically.
0: Oh man. All right, we gotta pivot. We only got 20, 25 minutes here. So (laughs) (laughs) we gotta do like the long form Joe Rogan style, Alex Friedman, stuff like that, to get all of that out. Obviously, the the construct of what we both love and care about is this crypto networks and everything that's going on in the crypto markets, but let's just start here. Decentralized finance has become a thing it's a buzzword, DeFi, right? It's on everyone's you know, tongue now and the government is looking at it. There's so many cool things that happen. There's been books written about it now and all these other things. But let's just start here of, if you wouldn't mind, let's just, a brief definition, right? For folks that are learning, because advisors are really trying to figure out what's going on here and then what it means to you. And then we can start to dig into Vesper from there.
2: Yeah. What is decentralized finance? I'd say that My definition is the inverse of centralized finance, which is there are a lot of institutions that are layers in between you and how the money actually moves and to whom, and uh, they're gatekeepers. And there are multiple layers of gatekeepers, which uh, translates to less and less freedom at kind of each layer. And cryptocurrency and being able to self-custody, your own funds. Decentralized finance is kind of the next step after that, is once you can control your own destiny, meaning host, own, custody, your funds, your digital assets, you need to do interesting stuff with it. But interesting stuff, meaning that you're going to trade it, you're going to deposit it into financial products. Those financial products might look like money market funds or lending platforms or things of that nature. Basically, it's taking self custodying that level one, leveling it up. So it's kind of level two of self-custody and payment freedom is uh, financial products that you can use with cryptocurrency. Most of these uh, in their purest form, they are themselves non-custodial. So what does that mean? Specifically, the assets are held 100% in smart contracts and not accessible by people who are fallible, can potentially uh, take the money, misappropriate it, whatever. I don't know if that's too long-winded a definition, but it's kind of uh, leveled, you know, cryptocurrency 201. It's the next step after Bitcoin, the Genesis coin and the concept of self-custody and uh, the freedom related to that.
0: Yeah. And again, who better to get that definition from than you? There are two parts of this that I want to get into. One is I love exactly how you explained it. And I love how you went into the non-custodial part, because one of the things I've been telling advisors is the future is non-custodial plus discretion. That's where the world is going. Right. And non-custodial meaning two ways. One, as you mentioned, a client's assets, or assets are going to be held on a blockchain, and then also non-custodial in the sense where the centralized custodians, your Fidelities, your Schwabs, your Pershing, they're not going to hold the assets. The clients are going to hold them in their pocket, and they're going to ask the advisor for the advice. So I think that non-custodial part plays two ways. So I, I love that you explained it that way. And again, you start getting into smart contracts, and then you know advisors get goosebumps, right? You Get a little nervous, <laughs> right? I'm like, it's code. What's going to happen, right? But When you can show them how it'll affect the state planning and everything else, they'll lean in. One of the things I want to get your perspective here on is this, and I think you can relate to this, and because you are very much a valued voice in the space, and I'm going to tweet this later, but it's very important to me, and I'm starting to realize as much as I am a crypto hippie, and we all love crypto, what it doesn't solve is the digital divide in this sense. Those folks need education on how to Bank themselves digitally on how to use a phone to track things and use mobile apps. There's a large segment of our population that just aren't comfortable doing anything from a phone. That's independent of age, by the way, because of, again, it could be the home that I live in. It could be the type of phone that my parents have, right? I've seen plenty of kids huddled around a phone trying to get Wi Fi to do their homework. I'm very passionate about this because with my background and the people that I advocate for, I'm fighting for this future where there's no banks and all these other things, but just being reminded that there are some people who just can't get there due to the lack of digital and financial education. So I want to just ask you about that is how do you think we can solve that? Because I think we're all excited about this future, but we can already see with COVID and the results of it, there's just so many people being left behind digitally.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm really reminded of a, a conversation I had on Twitter with an advocate for uh, Afghan women holding Bitcoin. You know, it was one of those typical Twitter conversations where I was trying to say one thing, but it was kind of interpreted differently. But I'm really reminded of it because the heart or the meat of it was, as stated, I think it's incredibly freeing. I think self custody is, uh, you know, you yourself are kind of your own root of trust. And then from there, there's your family, your friends, your community, etc. But it shouldn't start with your bank. That's kind of where the centralized infrastructure goes wrong is the root of trust is always you. And if it's not you, then there's some gatekeeper to you having sovereign control over your money. But it's tough. After 10 years, How to put it into words. If you don't onboard someone correctly on a cryptocurrency, it's easy for them to either get scammed or screw up their wallet or lose that $100, which to us is maybe like, oh, it's $100. But to them, that is like the month's salary or something like that. And that's notably life changing events that you don't want to have happen. And so, how do we free? And educate and achieve while avoiding those kind of bad outcomes. It goes beyond cryptocurrency to the security education part of the digital divide, how to teach people to safeguard themselves on the internet. But then there are plenty of people who just all they have access to on the internet is when they can go by the library once a day, you know, or when they can borrow their brother's smartphone or when they can go buy a friend's house to use the internet. And that like a third layer of the digital divide that I really think about. I think the solution is get a smartphone in everybody's hands. 20 years ago, there was Nicholas Negroponte over at MIT had a program called One Laptop Per Child, uh, OLPC. And I love the intention. It never kind of hit its lofty goals. But it really recognized that to be truly free and to be able to educate yourself, you got to plug into this global network. And that that last mile challenge, uh, I think about a lot. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I do as well. We can get so fascinated and enamored with possibility that we ignore reality. And more importantly, we ignore our own reality, meaning that, okay, we have choice of banks, we have choice of blockchains, we have choice of all these different things if we're in the know, but there's some people just, I have to go use the check cashing place. I have to use money orders, right? I I don't, like my parents to this day still don't use an ATM, right? Like my mother still goes to the post office to get money orders. It's comfortable for her. She won't break out of that. And if you spend a lot of time in the South Bronx and you look at the importance of people having physical cash, the ability to transact in real time, when you look at how the government, when they started to send out the stimulus and they sent it to certain populations of folks in, in the, the cards that they got in the mail, these folks have never gotten anything from the treasury, right? They get nervous and what is this? Throw it out, right? And in the report that the Fed just put out on their central bank stable coin idea they're thinking about, but some interesting statistics in there on the underbanked and the unbanked, right? Again, I don't use those terms. I use underserved. And then also the cost of remittances, 5% on top of what it costs to send a remittance. I mean, it is impossible for me that this is something that continues to happen. We know this is a problem, right? Japan has had real-time payment systems since the 70s. We're saying we may get it in 2023. So I think this is the power of DeFi. We're excited about that. But also, we got to go, all right, we have to bring these people into this new world. And the new world is not 2022. It's here's how banking yourself, here's how accounting for yourself, here's how saving for yourself has evolved. So it's, it's just something that is always on my mind. And my mother reminds me often, besides the fact that she still refers to Bitcoin as a big nickel, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> she loves it. She's like, oh, the big nickel, we heard about it on the news. To me, they're always a reminder of how my life is so different from theirs and what they value in money and how they look at money. So with that, again, we don't really have a certain amount of time, but I want to get into what Vesper is doing to be a vanguard in DeFi. I've been in a few of the spaces to hear some of the things that you all are working on, and I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. Co-founder of OnRamp, Eric Irvin, is involved. I pinged him last night. I'm like, I'm talking to Jeff again tomorrow. we got to figure out how to do something with Vesper. Please, like, figure it out. So even if it's education, something, we should be doing something with you all. So Tell the folks a little bit about Vesper and what you're doing. I think folks will learn a lot from it.
2: Yeah, thanks. So over at Vesper.finance, that's what I've been primarily working on uh, over the past 12 and more months. It's really an effort to make safer, make simpler, boil down decentralized finance, DeFi, into something that's easily digestible for and understandable for the average person, the average institution. So what does that mean? You have any number of these Web3 or DeFi websites. When Vesper was created, there were all sorts of, you can put your tokens here and you'll earn 50% APY, but then they would explode. And there was a lot of that. Going back to my uh, pre-blockchain career at Red Hat, one of the things that we saw was kind of this, dichotomy between on one side, there's just this amazing ball of innovation that was the open source community generating all this stuff, but it was also very chaotic. It was very cliquish and tribal, and there were dramas and all this stuff, and you had corporate customers on the other side that just wanted to get stuff done. They just wanted to use Linux in their data center. They didn't want to get involved in the dramas and the back and forth. And that's kind of what some of the big value add that we felt Vesper could bring to the DeFi community is, for example, kind of like a crypto money market, want to deposit some of your cryptocurrency into a savings-like financial product and just compound it without having to worry about complex financial terms like impermanent loss or Mm. without having to worry that. Is this DeFi project due diligence? Is it going to explode? We risk adjust and also kind of act as that buffer and that uh, research arm looking at the entire DeFi space, sussing out what's good, what's not, and integrating that into our products such that when users use Vesper, they don't have to uh, do all that research themselves, et cetera. Kind of a, a meta aggregator, some people call us. But the goal has always been, how do we make DeFi and Web3 safe and secure to use? There shouldn't be hard, razor-sharp edges that if you screw up, you lose money. Uh, There should be good user outcomes for average people and experiences that average people can understand and educate themselves on. So Vesper was really built for that audience. We love the crypto degenerates, and uh, we have plenty of them. Depositing, participating in Vesper as well, because we have good performance on the products as well. But it was really built for that super simple, super safe user experience as a gateway into DeFi.
0: Yeah. Well, I I love that. And there's a financial education angle there that I think would be awesome for the people. So when you guys decide to go ping me, tag me in, coach. I'm ready. Absolutely. I'm I'm ready to help Vesper spread the good word. While I have you, I have to ask this because I have to be honest, I'm not completely on the train yet. But NFTs, I love how a creator can earn income in perpetuity. I love that. I love what it, it does for the creator economy overall. Again, I think I look at it similar to, you know, you how things evolved, right? Um, in in the space. And you go back to the ICO boom and you know, you go back, you know, more than that, and crypto kitties and everything else. There's the first iteration and things evolve. So I do think it's, it's a bit of a bubble in some ways, but I do think the underlying principles of what NFTs could do is pretty exciting. But I haven't bought any, I'm not there yet, but what are your quick thoughts on NFTs for the folks out there?
2: Well, I, I always try to reason from first principles, take a 10-year view, etc. Kind of my two top level points are number one, gunpowder. And number two, the cost of digital asset creation is zero. So what I mean by that is I think a lot about gunpowder in that I was one of the people who was one of the earliest Bitcoin develops. So from Bitcoin, there was this Cambrian explosion of Litecoin and Dogecoin and Poopcoin. I, I won't use the, the, <laughs> the stronger term and stuff like that. And so there was a lot of good and there was a lot of not good. And there was a lot of experiments and there was a lot of naivete, but uh, that's kind of permissionless innovation in its nature is someone posts a source code and then anybody can do anything with that. Good actors, naive actors, bad actors, they can all have equal opportunity for that. You know, similar to the invention of gunpowder. The Wild West was like people figuring out the rules and mores of Well, if this guy made me angry, maybe I ought not shoot him. Maybe there ought to be laws and sheriff and uh, stuff like that. The other point is uh, the cost of digital asset creation is zero. And that has economic implications for supply and demand. That means the market will naturally, because I can just photocopy source code. I can create a token in five minutes, create an NFT in five minutes The market will always be saturated with low effort, free to create type stuff. Traditional venture capital has this power law distribution where, you know, 90% of your investments will fail, but the 10% that succeed outweigh the other 90% and your net positive in your investment overall. That's, I think, the same for cryptocurrency and blockchain, is that maybe 98%, of what's created is not worth very much at all. And that's what you see is you see a lot of noise. Whenever there's a new free to create thing, there's a lot of supply on the market. And so we're going through this sorting function of what's actually innovative and what isn't. I don't own a lot of NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you won't find a, a punk or anything. I just can't justify spending that kind of money. But I get the art thesis. I get the scarcity thesis. There are some things that are going to be genuine art with genuine value, and that is completely unquestionable. There's going to be a lot of stuff that has zero value or will have hype value and then go to zero after six months. You know, it's kind of like the ninety-eight percent of ICO tokens. But there's also a lot of innovation as well. And there's a lot of really, really smart people that are building stuff on uh, NFTs.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I, it's funny, folks are like, do you own? And I'm like, no, I was like, I like my ETH staking. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's fine. I like seeing it there and it's just going and you know, I'm like, I'm not giving up my ETH for an ugly, right? You know, monkey riding a banana. So I'm not doing that. I do find it fascinating in, in the culture behind it, right? And I do think that's one of the things we spoke about this before is everything about crypto is culture. It's community. And you find your tribe. I'm a DeGen. I'm a Bitcoin maxi. I'm, I'm following Elon off the cliff in Dogecoin. Yeah, I said it. Um, All these different things that need right or wrong at this point, I think if you love Everything that crypto has brought into the world, it's so different, again, than when you got in and when I got in. But now you can look at different segments, right? You can look at Bitcoin and ETH as being different from the other crypto assets and the things that are going on, almost if you're like truly building your small, mid-market cap, your mega cap. It's this new world that includes NFTs and Web3 and, and all these other things. So just fascinating times you throw gaming into that and, and play to earn. It's just some really cool things happening. So, two, two quick things before we get you out of here. One, I'm fascinated by the Web 2, Web 3 gang beef on Twitter. <laughs> I just, it's, it's like the Bloods and Crips in the 80s. I'm like, what is happening here? All of you appreciate innovation. What is going on? Quick thoughts on Web 3 and then also just some, some quick thoughts on the market, because since we've spoken last, right, the markets have. 40 50 downturn. We'll love your thoughts on that, and um, we'll, we'll let the folks go and wait to see if there'll be a next one.
2: <laughs> Web two, it seems like a combination of envy and I succeeded over here, and this thing is different. Web three, just like NFTs, just like uh, ICOs before, we're going through a what works, what doesn't period. Okay, I'll go ahead and use the word I have excluded Bitcoin because on people who are smart, genuinely from the heart, good intent, trying to make the world better, trying to build something that helps people. And I'm just not going to be that person that kicks people who are trying to do something good in the world. Five to 10 years from now, they will have integrated cryptocurrency. Like gunpowder, it's it's out. It's going to be integrated in everyday life, whether you like it or not. That's why regulators are paying more attention because more people have crypto and more people are doing things with crypto. It's more embedded. It's more out there. It's more part of average people's everyday lives, which just excites the heck out of me.
0: Yeah. Again, that's kind of where I'm leaning as well, but it's just so fascinating to see really wealthy, smart men arguing or people arguing on Twitter. It's like, why don't you guys just call each other, you know? Yeah. 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 and, And just hash it out. And I think everyone is for moving innovation forward because it's going to go forward whether you like it or not, right? So, you know, you might as well take from it what's useful or not. But just seeing it happen is, and again, Twitter is very tribal, but I think the world is very tribal. Now everyone picks a side, right? Our
2: DNA is very tribal. We're we're tribal by nature. We can't help it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Just makes for toxicity, but you hope that best ideas, altruism, and humanity wins out. And I think with folks like you leading the way, it'll happen here. So one quick thought from you again on, on the market, the current state of the markets. We'll, uh, we'll get you out of here.
2: I'm usually a defer on uh, that type of Me question. <laughs> you know, I try not to talk about prices. The market is down. But as you look at my Twitter bio, I'm a builder. I'm going to be building until the day I die. And so it's just what am I building today and what am I going to build tomorrow is, is pretty much always my focus. The market will go up and down. But I'm going to be
0: here. I appreciate that answer because when I get like interviewed by you know, financial reporters, I say the same thing. Oh, dude, can you give us a price <laughs> prediction for the? End of the year? No, I can't. And if I could, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I'd have one of these multi-million-dollar houses on the water in La Jolla. How about that? So awesome. All right. So before we go, now you did use the S word. My mom listens to this podcast, so you can um, put some shitoshi's in the little virtual jar I have here in the metaverse. I, <laughs> I will. When I come to Atlanta, that's going to cost you a waffle at Waffle House. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. But before we go and eat, you know, if you want to shout out anywhere with folks to come find you and interact with you, please share.
2: Check us out at uh, Vesper.finance. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Garzik and reflect how you can be a pay it forward, positive force in the world.
0: Love it. And to that point, you guys know where I'm going with this as always. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe and share. Advisors, sign up for the Crypto for Advisors newsletter. I spoke to Foster Wright. I think he said it's up to 12,000 advisors on the newsletter. So that's awesome. Getting their crypto house in order, if you will. But more importantly, if you found any value in this episode at all, please head over to NoKidHungry.org. Help me, help CoinDesk, help Jeff, cure child hunger in this country. It is ridiculous that a child will go to bed hungry tonight. We could all do something about it. And they take crypto. So thank you all for listening, Jeff. As always, it's been an honor and privilege. I appreciate you love and light to you. And everyone, we'll see you on the next one. Be well. Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to On Purpose with host Tyrone Ross and guest Jeff Garzik. This show is produced and announced by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is Walk With Swag. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcasts at coinist.com. Subject line, On Purpose. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.